Hey, it's a great podcast for a Monday. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you don't want to miss a second of it. We talk about the Washington Redskins, the weasels that are now changing their name because money is at stake, not because of the principle. Is there anyone who will stand for the principle? Well, uh, AOC is, I should say that. She is, she's come out this, this uh, weekend and she said all of the violence that is happening in New York City on the streets is all because, well, people don't have enough bread. And they're having to steal bread. Really? Because I haven't noticed the stats of the bakery robberies lately going up. But we talk about that. Also, Black Lives Matter, how it is in your school right now. It is starting to be taught in your children's school that racism really is caused by white people. And uh, white is not where it's at. The Marxist infiltration of our school, what the schools now, the teachers union in California are asking for before they return to school. They said they will not reopen unless a few of their demands are met. Wait until you hear that. And finally, a doctor who will come out and tell you the truth about coronavirus. All that and more on today's podcast. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Very excited about so, uh, finding out about Wayfair furniture because, uh, man, are you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been tr- buying. I've been buying slave children. Have you uh, from uh, for a while from Wayfair? Uh, yeah, yeah. From Wayfair, yeah. Mm-hmm. You just go online and you find the most expensive cabinet. Yeah, and. Uh, because no cabinet could cost fourteen thousand dollars. No, that's How could ridiculous. A cabinet Come on, cost fourteen thousand uh, dollars. You know, so what you do is you just find the most expensive cabinet, and what you're buying <laughs> are children instead of a cabinet. That is just so bizarre. How how can mm-hmm. that possibly get oh. started with anybody believing it? Uh, come on. You're so, so okay. Okay. So, come on. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't know you were part of the government cover up. <laughs> yes, I am. Of Pizzagate and now Wayfair Gate. Yes. Uh, or Cabinet Gate, if oh, you'd you, like. Oh, you're talking about the Pizzagate that's doing the, the sex trafficking of children in their basement that they don't have in the basement. That exactly isn't there. right. Yeah. yeah, that one. Exactly right. <laughs> yep. We so, you got, got that one. <laughs> and here, here's the, I mean, look. This is a, this is, there are four storage cabinets uh, there that were, you know, the Princess, Princess Peach 1987. This, she, she's from uh, Reddit and she posted on Reddit, I saw these cabinets. Uh, it's Wayfair's mobile website and it features products named Nira, Yurizita, uh, Samaya, and Olivia. And these cabinets cost between $12,699 and $14,499.99. And the only thing that this could possibly be that, I mean, is that these are, these are humans you're buying, not cabinets, because no cabinet would cost $14,000. What a sick and, and of course, weird conclusion to jump to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you think? (laughs) Yeah. Is it possible? This is what, this is what she was, this is what she posted. Is it possible Wayfair is involved in human trafficking 
with their WFX utility collection? No, or it's not. are these just extremely overpriced cabinets? <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think they're just overpriced <laughs> cabinets. I don't. I mean, why? Why, why would it all of a sudden? Why would it occur to you that it, oh, you know what? They're buying people. They're selling people at Wayfair. You know what I think this is? By the way, uh, Wayfair said, of course, there's no truth to these claims. The products in question are industrial-grade cabinets that are accurately priced, recognizing that the photos and descriptions provided by the supplier did not adequately explain the high price point. We have temporarily removed the products from the site to rename them and to provide a more in-depth description and photos that accurately depict the product to clarify the price point. Unbelievable. Mm. So what I think this is, is I think this is just another attempt to discredit capitalism, to discredit another capitalist successful corporation. I mean, either that or it's just a really stupid person. But I think it's a, I think it's equally, equally um, uh, viable that this is somebody who is a Marxist that just wants to create more chaos and, and more doubt about anything that you can possibly trust. Yeah, Ken, could we could we have any more doubts than we do in in American society? Right, we doubt absolutely everything. We doubt capitalism. We doubt our leaders. We doubt whether or not the COVID nineteen thing is really spiking like it is because they you hear all over the place that they're they're messing with the numbers, bringing back legacy numbers from months ago. They're they're attaching uh, positive test results to people who haven't even had tests i mean we can't believe anything we have an anymore ex- we have an ex we have an expert on that coming up at the top of hour three today uh if you're part of the covid you know confusion and you don't know what's happening because honestly pat i don't know what's i don't either. i don't know what's real or not anymore yeah, me neither i, I, I don't, don't know what's real uh, I, I'm a I little, don't have I don't have any I don't have any feeling that I should be concerned about COVID though. Do you? Uh, I yeah I I don't want to be stupid about it. Like you know we did a wedding. Correct. I think you know whose wedding it was, and it was a great wedding. Yes. But all yeah. social distancing kind of went out the window because we're all friends and everybody knows each other, and so they're you haven't seen each other in a long time, and there's a lot of hugging and shaking and. And touching and feeling and I, you know, I was a little nervous Whoa, about it. What kind of what it was? <laughs> was a yeah, nervous. It sounds like a <laughs> wow. Did you have a, a no? It was a great time. Don't get me wrong. Fair? Yes, <laughs> yes. There was one right in the middle of the dance floor. It was really strange. Right. That's weird. Uh, okay. But nobody was wearing masks, and and that's fine. Um, because I wasn't wearing one either. I just wasn't expecting the close proximity. I think, and and so I was a little nervous, maybe. And I haven't really been, uh, but I thought, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to dive this deep into the normalcy end of the pool right now. I'm not sure I'm ready mm. for that. If it was outdoors, I think it would have been different. You know, like if it's a football game or you go into a baseball game and you're outside, I, I wouldn't worry about that. Indoors, I thought it was a little scary. Hmm. Hmm. You wouldn't have been bothered I, by that? You know, I you would have hugged everybody who people flying I all over the world. You, no, I probably wouldn't. No, I probably wouldn't have hugged everybody. Um, you know, but I'm I'm up here in a small town in uh, Idaho and I don't see anybody wearing masks. I yeah, mean, I bet there's not. nobody not. wearing masks. 
Uh, and the, you know, there's and there's there's like one case in the county or something like that. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's not a problem. Um, but I'm. But if you're I, here, I just, you're, I bothered. You're a, you're a hugger. Would you Would you be hugging people if you were back in Dallas? No. Yeah. No. Probably not. But you know, I I I don't want to be stupid, but I also right. don't want to be played either. I don't I know me too. You know what causes me to distrust distrust all this is how it's come down on party lines. I don't yeah. understand that. Yeah, it's crazy. How can, how is that possible? How's that possible? Um, and it's possible because science has so discredited themselves that we don't know what's true anymore. We don't just blindly trust science anymore mm-hmm. because they've made science political. And once everything in our life is political, I mean, geez, Pat, what isn't political? Mm, I think pretty much everything is. I can't is. think of anything. Yeah, everything is. Everything is. Masks are. Everything is. Right. And, and, and you've got sports i mean why is sports political why there's no reason for it it was brought in to divide us even more so we can have i mean if if that line from michelle obama do we have that michelle obama line if that line from michelle obama when she was on the campaign trail with barack obama doesn't come to your head oh my gosh listen And Barack knows that we are going to have to make sacrifices. We are going to have to change our conversation. Uh, We're going to have to change our traditions, our history. We're going to have to move into a different place. We've done that. I mean, that's... We've done it all. That's been done. Our conversations are not anything like they used to be. Right. Nothing like they used to be. Um, Our traditions, our history... All of it is going out the window. Look how they made us ashamed, ashamed of our history. If you celebrated during the 4th of July, you got hammered on Twitter for it. That's just crazy to me. How did we get here? We got here because we didn't see how big the threat was. We got here because, quite honestly, we didn't listen to warnings like I gave back in the early 2000s of organizations like the Tides Foundation. We didn't dismantle the Tides Foundation. We didn't look into it. Mm-hmm. We still, to this day, refuse to see George Soros as a threat. George Soros is a massive threat. Now, he could disappear and be taken into space by aliens. It doesn't matter. It's his money at this point. It's the money of the Ford Foundation. That's what's happening. How are mm. how are how is Black Lives Matter s- sitting in our schools right now? Right now, it's sitting in our schools, waiting to be devoured by our kids. How's that possible? Because of big money like the Ford Foundation and Open Society from George Soros. That's how these things get done. Just to back up what you're saying, let me play for you a real quick uh, uh, interview. From Lord Jamar, who's a rapper, and I'd never heard of him before, but the guy makes all kinds of sense. I'm not no Black Lives Matter supporter. You're not? No, absolutely. Why not? Because it's not our movement. This is a movement that was given to us by, you know, George Soros and his boys. um, Because they saw how things were going and they didn't want it to go back to the 60s to where we start having our own organic movements. That was a big fuck for them so let's give the people of movement 
that we can control. Amazing. We'll provide them the leaders and all of this type of shit. And, um, yeah, that's what Black Lives Matter is. Is that great? I mean, so he's brilliant. he's right that it is not a black movement. It mm-hmm. is a it's a gay and lesbian uh, Marxist yep. radical movement. Yeah. So that's that's what that is. Um, but I think it's worse than what he said. He said it was given so we wouldn't start our own movement. No, no, no. No, it was it was given because they know they can use the black community. They really believe that the black community is so stupid that they can be used mm-hmm. every step of the way, that they can they can be wrapped up into something like this and nobody's going to look into it and nobody will care and it will help destroy the black community and the United States of America. That's what this is really all about. I mean, you want to talk about a racist movement. It's it's what the white leadership of Black Lives Matter and the big funders of Black Lives Matter actually believe. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I'm very concerned, uh, Vody, about something that is is happening here in America. Actually, the best the best case of this to to highlight happened in Indiana. A priest got up, spoke a sermon, and spoke of good and evil, and and named Black Lives Matter uh, as evil, and actually described why it was evil, and he was accurate. He's now been replaced at his church, and you know they've got him in some witness protection program or something. And if if Catholics and all Christians don't start to stand up, we're in real, real trouble. Yeah, we, we most assuredly are. And it's not just happening there. It's happening all over the country. And I've been saying that it would come for the church. It has to come for the church. Uh, because has to. If you accept critical theory, which is the foundation upon which uh, Black Lives Matter and, you know, all of these different movements is, you know, based. If you accept critical theory and the idea that the, the world and America is divided between oppressors and the oppressed, if you accept their definition of whiteness, of white supremacy, of white privilege and everything else, um, then ultimately you have to recognize the fact that the church and Christianity in their eyes is the source of the oppression. So everybody knows that they, they list off, you know, white, um, male, uh, you know, able-bodied, cisgendered, so on and so forth, you know, when they're talking about the oppressor, the white supremacist or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Christian is part of that list. And so when they talk about America's original sin, um, and they see a book by that title, um, you know, American, America's Original Sin by Jim Wallace. Um, w- you know, when they talk about it, they lay that at the feet of Christianity itself. And so they have to come for the church. And that's why I believe it's so dangerous. And that's why I talked about this idea of the woke shahada. You know, this, this, you, you, you have to say Black Lives Matter. I can't believe how many times I've seen people pressed as to whether or not they would speak the phrase. This is dangerous. So explain 
um, because I, I I feel really impressed to start speaking to Christians um, and start waking Christians up because um, the I think the black community because of their relationship with God and those those Christians who are white or of any other color. If they are still attached to God, they are the ones that are going to repair this, because I think we're in we're in the beginning of the end battle. It seems uh, this is we are battling evil at a global scale. Yeah, you know, and I think you hit the nail on the head. And this is my biggest problem. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. My biggest problem with this is that we're moving into a direction that says. The church is not the answer. The gospel is not the answer. Christ is not the answer. Uh, in fact, the church, the gospel, and Christ are part of the problem. Um, and, and Black Lives Matter and, you know, their openly Marxist, you know, ideology is the answer. And I know you've gone over this before, but, you know, the idea that these people say we're self-reflexive and do the work required to, to dismantle cisgender cisgender privilege, right? That they want to uplift black trans folk, uh, that, that they want to replace the idea of, or dismantle uh, patriarchal nuclear family structures. I, these, these things go to the heart of who we are as Christians. And one of the things that I've been saying for a while is I love the illustration of social justice movement, which is really the critical social justice movement because critical theory is 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 at the core of this but the critical social marxist but it's like a train it's like a train and it has multiple cars and the 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 first car behind the engine is the the ethnic car the racial car right racial justice and you get everybody you know on board with that because nobody wants to be a racist everybody wants racial justice and then behind that you know you have uh, gender equality behind that lgbtq uh, AI plus, and then behind that, you know, a whole host of other things that come along with it. And and what worries me is that Christians believe that they can jump on one of those cars, right, the racial justice car, and not be carried along where the rest of the train is going. And that's naive. So why is it we're so asleep, Vody? What what what's happened to the church? It's dead asleep. <laughs> You know, I think there's a couple of things, Glenn. People mean well. Christians hate injustice. So j- just think about how ingenious it is. This is, what, this is what Satan does. Think about how ingenious it is the way some of these openly anti-Christian movements uh, name themselves, right? Black Lives Matter. Oh, I mean, who's going who's gonna to say black lives don't matter, right? And now all of a mm-hmm. sudden you have an organization that is antithetical to Christianity with a phrase that you feel like, eh, but this is not the first time. Think about Planned Parenthood. I mean, how deceptive is that? Planned mm-hmm. Parenthood. Who could be against something called, you know, Planned Parenthood? And so on and so forth. It goes down the line. This is this is not something new. And so they, they, they get to the heart of, again, Christians, we love God, we love people, 
We we hate racism. If you're if you don't hate racism, you check yourself. You're not a Christian. We're part of the body of Christ. We belong to one another. And I talk about that in that racial reconciliation mess. And so if somebody comes and talks about anti-racism and you don't know what they mean by that, you're like, yeah, I'm on board with that. And so Christians are being sucked in because they see injustices, right? Nobody would argue that there are no injustices. And so Christians have these injustices pointed out, and they're like, yeah, this stuff is wrong. And it's like, okay, cool, we've got an answer for you. And this answer is based in critical theory, and then what they've done is they've created an entire vocabulary. It's, it's mm-hmm. like there's two, there's, there's two books I'm thinking about right now and then been talking about right now, Orwell's 1984 and, and, and Animal Farm. And those two books, you know, unfortunately, we, we don't even read those anymore. People don't even read those anymore in school. But this is Newspeak. They redefine words so that they don't mean what they used to mean. And then they employ those words in an effort to get their ideology in front of us in ways that seem very palatable. And before we know it, we're carried along in something that is actually antithetical to the gospel that we hold dear and antithetical to the goals that we have that we think they're going to try, they're going to help us achieve. You know, you, um, you bring up 1984 and I started the, the program today with, you know, let's, let's all remember the slogans of the party. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. And it goes on. Who controls yeah. the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. Everything yeah. in I just reread 1984. Everything in it is happening right now. It is Absolutely. it's 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 no longer reading fiction. It is reading a newspaper. Well, but you have to understand, though, that, you know, when you're looking at 1984 and when you're looking at, at Animal Farm and, you know, these books weren't written as pure fiction. These books were written right. in order to com- communicate the truth about this same ideology that has been around for a long time, and we've seen how this story ends. So the beauty of those books is not just that they're good fiction, but they're fiction that, that really help to illustrate what happens when you know, Marxism, communism, you know, first, you know, uh, two legs bad, four legs good, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> then all animals are created equal, and, and then all of a sudden some animals are more equal than others, and now you got the pigs walking on two legs. And by the way, if you don't know Animal Farm, go get a copy of, of Animal Farm, read Animal Farm, read 1984, because, um, again, these things are very instructive and informative as to these strategies that we're seeing unfold. And people have seen these strategies unfold before. And Newspeak is a really important part of this. Redefining terms is a really important part of this. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Doctor, welcome to the program. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me. You bet. So... I think most Americans are confused and some people are saying that these numbers going through the roof 
are bad. I, I just heard an argument this morning um, that uh, what's happening in Florida is happening everywhere. And, and it's it's no big deal. This is all about politics. What's what's the truth? Well, I mean, I think that everything should be uh, done, of course, by looking at the data instead of just uh, sort of models or even just allowing fear to go into the uh, exchange here. So if we look at the data, we see there's there's no question that cases are increasing uh, in many states. And there's uh, that that's to be expected for, for a few reasons. Number one, we have a contagious disease present. And when there's more social mingling, there's going to be more cases. And of course, when we test more, we're going to detect more cases. And when we have thousands and thousands of people in the streets protesting and screaming and sharing megaphones, we're going to have more cases. The only question really is, what's the significance of these cases and how are we going to handle these uh, consequences? First and foremost, the overwhelming majority of people that are getting these cases are younger, healthier people. These are people from the facts, from the evidence, from all over the world, including the United States, are not at significant risk generally from this infection. In fact, the overwhelming majority of, of people recover fully from the infection. So that, that's not really the issue. In fact, the, the issue is only really twofold. Number one, we want to do our best to uh, protect the people who are at high risk to actually die from this. And we're not doing that uh, perfectly, of course. We're better at it. I know we're better because we, have, we don't see the explosion in deaths that we would have expected or would have seen in the beginning of this. And, you know, we, we, we have learned. So we know that we need to protect the elderly, high-risk people, particularly in nursing homes. Now, we have, as a nation have failed at doing that from coast to coast, as most countries in the whole world failed. But the second part of the policy, and the only thing that really is the focus of any so-called flattening of the curve, is to prevent hospitals from being overcrowded. This is the point of the policy. The policy was never stop all cases of COVID, and it mm -hmm. frankly was never to stop all deaths from COVID because we have a case of a disease here with an infect with fatality rate greater than zero. And every single disease with a fatality rate greater than zero, necessarily there are people that are going to die. We're going to minimize that. We do our best to minimize that. And that should be uh, sort of doable because we know who to protect. The overwhelming majority of people that die are over 70 and in some cases over 80, depending upon the analyses. Two-thirds to three-fourths of people are over 70, whereas younger, healthier people have extremely low risk. In fact, the infection fatality rate for people who are under 70 is 0 0.04, less than or equal to seasonal flu. Okay, so this is really a message that has never been stressed to people. And uh, frankly, uh, the, one of the egregious failures here of the policy people is not just to allow fear to infiltrate their own thinking and, and do lockdowns, which are severely harmful, and I can articulate that. Uh, but secondly, they have failed to reassure the public about the facts and about the relative risk here. It's a very serious, dangerous disease for a group of people and we know who those people are. They are high-risk elderly so, people with comorbidities. Everybody else, it's so, not a so, high-risk disease. 
So why is it when I see, you know, the, the governor of Texas, who has done a really good job, but when he comes out and says, you know what, I'm thinking of, we're, we may have to do a significant lockdown of the state if these numbers continue. Well, wait a minute. Why are you locking down the entire state? Why aren't we just protecting those people in that category? Why have we gone off the rails on this? Well, again, like, uh, you know, I sort of try to empathize with the fear, uh, including of the public officials, but I don't empathize with the ignorance and the lack of ability to use critical thinking on the data by the people talking to them. And, and the, 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 again, to, to emphasize, we want to protect the high-risk people. We also need to protect uh, the hospitals to some extent because we absolutely were killing people by locking out regular medical care. And we have data on that, you know, yes. 650,000 people with cancer, you know, half of them miss their chemotherapy. And I could go on and on. This is factually true. In fact, in Texas alone, by the way, of the excess deaths over expected baseline from last year, almost two thirds were non-COVID people. That mm-hmm. means that we killed people with the lockdown particularly the lockdown of medical care, not to mention the lockdowns uh, causing increased suicides, increased opioid deaths. And that's all statistically proven. Okay, so this is not arguable. So the reality that I want to really make sure, though, the Texas situation and is in certain settings, in certain hospitals, they're getting crowded. In certain hospitals in Florida, they're getting crowded. I just looked at the data, and we see that overall, Okay, the hospitals in Texas are, say, 80 to 90 percent occupied. But when you look at what percent are COVID patients or what percent are COVID patients in Arizona, they're, you know, 15 to 20 percent. They're filling these hospitals, of course, but it's the wave of non-COVID that's really filling the hospitals. Yes, there are more COVID patient Mm. hospitalizations. And when there are hospitals that are overwhelmed, although I just looked again, for instance, at Florida, and they still have about 20% bed occupancy and about 20% ICU occupancy, but there are some hospitals, isolated hospitals, with very crowded, getting nervous levels of uh, ICU occupancy. Okay, well, here's a policy uh, issue We need to do what we did for New York and supply extra hospital capacity. You're not going to stop the infection itself. You just need to be able to take care of the people who need care. Let me switch to schools. Um, You know, before I do that, well, you you decide the order. Schools have got to be opened. They have got to be opened. We are... We are harming our children. The Pediatric uh, Association has has come out and said this as well. There is real harm being done to our society by keeping everything closed. There's hard, really bad things happening to our economy as well, which will have ramifications. But the schools, should the schools be open or not? This is a slam dunk issue. There is zero science to back up people claiming the schools should be closed or even opened with any constraints whatsoever. And I can go through the data, but the fact is the bottom line, for instance, JAMA Pediatrics, a very well-respected pediatric journal, published a study uh, including 46 hospitals in North America, and they 
said the following quote, our data indicate that children are at far greater risk of critical illness from influenza than from COVID-19. Unquote. Children are at extraordinarily low risk, near zero of dying, despite a sensationalized headline of, yes, every, every child that dies, it's a tragic loss. I'm a parent. I understand that. But the point is that those exceptions don't disprove the overwhelming data. When we have in the numbers of roughly 30-some children who have died in the United States this year from COVID-19, do people forget that the last estimate from influenza deaths from children was about 600 in, per, in the season, even with the vaccines, even with anything we know about decades of influenza? And so mm-hmm. the reality, we have to have some perspective here. If we're going to close schools for the risk to children, then... We must close schools every year from November through April because that's influenza season, which, by the way, kills 50 to 90,000 Americans per year. Now, the reality, though, is that there's more to it than that. It's the teachers who are saying don't open the schools because there is no science to say there's a risk to children. The teaching profession in the United States is a young profession. Of K-12 through teachers, half are under 41 years old. 82% are under 55. These people do not have a high risk. And the reality is from data all over the world, on top of all that, that children only rarely, if ever, transmit the disease. And this is data from Switzerland, Canada, the Netherlands, France, Iceland, the UK, Australia, Ireland, all over the world. We don't reinvent the wheel and ignore all the facts here. For people that say that it's all about the science, let's look at the science. The science says there is no significant risk to anyone in a school. In fact, it's, it's one of the safest places there are. And so the reality is that people who are saying, oh, close the schools, they don't care about the children, period. Let's get it on the table here. The teachers that are against opening are literally saying they do not care about the children because they're, they're ignoring not only there's no risk to the children, there's, no, there's a harm to the children, a massive harm. Mm-hmm. Distance learning is proven to be a failure from coast to coast. 30%, 50% of kids don't even log on on any given day. Their reading levels have been estimated to drop by 30% by some. And we know that this is worse for lower income families. They don't have what I call the paraphernalia of yep. the affluent. They're not just going to buy a bunch of iPads and have a bunch of tutors mm-hmm. come in and monitor them. And besides that, schools are where we learn the children have need have a need for hearing aid or glasses. The number one agency where child abuse is is found is by the teachers in the schools, by the nurses in the schools. There's a, na- a significant increase, by the way, as we know, it's documented in child abuse with uh, maybe 35 percent of pediatric ER visits for severe child abuse increased during the lockdown due to the lockdown. This is not a virus effect. This is the lockdown. And now we see we're not even going to see the child abuse. By the way, many of their parents have lost jobs. When you lose jobs, you have stress, you have increased opioid related, you have increased child abuse. This is a heinous, almost criminal neglect. Teachers are not at risk Children have virtually no risk. There is zero reason to have any spacing or masks and create a generation of neurotic kids. Aren't schools an essential business, by the way? And by the way, the last I looked, uh, you know, the schools were for the children, not for the teachers. If the teachers are high risk, and there are some high risk, 
if they believe that masks and spacing work, why can't they use that in the schools? They must not believe that that works or they would say we'll do that. And if they are still afraid, by the way, that's fine. High risk teachers, in my opinion, should be allowed to teach from a distance since they obviously believe that distance education works, by the way, or they wouldn't advocate for it. They can teach from a distance. That does not have anything to do with locking down schools. Teachers, of all people, should be prioritizing the children. And they obviously understand that children learn more than just the book information anyway. When they, need, when they are in person, they, need, they learn how to socially mature, how to work in groups, how to resolve conflicts. And they need facial expressions and cues and all the things that are obvious. These things don't even have to be said, but it's beyond belief. It's completely antithetical to science to insist that schools should not open. And it's antithetical to the recommendations of the experts. In fact, the Hospital for Sick Kids in Toronto, one of the world's great pediatric hospitals, came out with an official statement. And their statements included schools should be open in person, full time, no masks no distancing, because that's what the science says. This is not even controversial at this point. We are we okay. have become a hysterical country. I'm sorry to say it. We are an outlier internationally. All the countries of Western Europe, their schools are opening, and there's no problem that they've seen for, for places that didn't even lock down the schools during the height of the pandemic. So I want to, I want I, I have to take a one minute break, and then come back. And I want to ask you a very important question, I think. And that is, then why? Then why is this happening? Why do we have authorities coming out and saying this if it is so clear on science? One minute, we'll get that answer from Dr. Scott Atlas. You can follow him at SW Atlas Hoover. Na, na, na. 